Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Jurors here from YNW Melly and the two friends he's accused of killing. We were talking about that job back in the day. They like, they want to kill. Rapper, that's what you want to be. Better go get a job. They also see a video of Melly and Bortland hours after the homicides having a good time. These are just some of the major moments from the testimony of the lead detective in Melly's double murder trial. Welcome to Law and Crime Sidebar Podcast. I'm Anjanette Levy. Detective Mark Moretti is the state's final witness in YNW Melly's murder trial. He spent hours testifying about things that he found as he investigated the murders of Chris Thomas Jr., who went by YNW Juvie, and Anthony Williams, who went by YNW Sack Chaser. Some of the testimony focused on money, text messages, and arguments between YNW members, particularly Sack and Melly. Melly's mom, Jamie King, is also mentioned in these arguments. Sack was none too happy with her in the months before the homicides. Joining me to discuss some of the big moments so far from Detective Mark Moretti's testimony is Bobby Chacon. He's a retired FBI agent who investigated gangs and the mafia. He's also an attorney, uh, so he knows a lot about criminal cases. Bobby, welcome back to Sidebar. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. One of the things, Bobby, that was interesting to me is the fact that Detective Moretti was asked about so-called satchel man purses that both Bortland and YNW Melly were carrying when they left the recording studio that night before the homicides were committed. And Detective Moretti was asked about these man purse slash satchels. So let's listen. Were any man purses satchels found in that radio? Specifically, this the beige one that's pictured at 21840. No, ma'am, we did not recover that. Continuing forward to 21905, was a black satchel recovered? No, ma'am. Specifically, the one that is seen in the individual in the black and white jacket? Correct. Did Mr. Henry have possession of either of those satchels or man purses at the hospital? No, ma'am. Okay, Bobby, so the big point here is the fact that they leave the studio with man purses, and then Bortland arrives at the hospital in a frenzy with his two dead friends in the car. They seize the car, no man purses. How significant do you see that? Well, I mean, in a case like this, where the where the you know the allegation is they carried out the murder with guns, guns can fit into those satchels very well, and then they're gone, and then the guns are gone, and we can't find the guns, right? So this is a very this is a way of the prosecution explaining where the guns were, what happened to them. Clearly, Melly's not there. Portland arrives. It's worse for Portland because he has it in his possession. You can see it physically on the on the tape, and then 
if his story is to be believed, he gets in that vehicle with those with the two victims, and then they're shot, and then he goes to the hospital. So there's no intervening stop that he makes. There's no intervening thing that would remove that satchel from him. Melly, we don't see at the hospital, so we don't know where and when his story alters from that. But but Borland's his story is: I got into the car, we were driving, this drive-by happens, and then I go to the hospital. So that satchel that you see him with in that video should be on him or in that car. And, and so, you know, it, it's that's where it gets interesting. And, and clearly the implication by the prosecution is, you know, they were carrying their weapons in those satchels. You know, when Melly got out of the car and left, he took both them with him. I, I, mean, I assume that's the, what they're going to allege in their closing arguments. Seems like that's where they're going. The next point that was interesting was the fact that we have these cell phones these days that track everything we do, our steps, everything. And Detective Moretti said he analyzed the cell phone records and he looked at where Melly's cell phone, which is in dispute. The defense says it was almost like passed around and used by everybody, but the state says no way it was Melly's phone. He says he looks at that, the longitude and the latitude, and it puts Melly's phone right at the crime scene. Take a listen. So Detective Moretti, I want to go here to publishing States 90. Once you have your bearings on this, uh, this uh, point from the 9807 phone, I'm going to switch over to the other side, at 4.03 a.m. What area does this depict? This is the actual crime scene on U.S. Uh, 27 Pembroke Road. And approximately where along Pembroke Road on this map were those casings discovered? It was on the south side of the road, about 820 meters from US 27. Um, the, I'm sorry, 820 feet from uh, US 27, and uh, approximately where the uh, GPS coordinate is at. Okay. So Detective Moretti is saying that Melly's cell phone was essentially at the crime scene, that intersection of Pembroke Road and US 27 at 4.03 a.m. That's, you know, 30 minutes before Bortland arrives at the hospital. So how significant is that? Well, it's very significant. And this is this is how you see a prosecution building a case. So we saw testimony earlier in the trial that Melly was taking self selfies with this phone and doing FaceTimes with this phone and using this phone actively. And like you said, he's trying to allege this was kind of a community phone and passed around. But the prosecution has already put in evidence, testimony that, you know, that ties him pretty directly to this phone. This is his phone. You tie that with the fact that it's 4.03 a.m. in the morning. You know, how how many people are up there and how many people in this so-called so community that's using this phone is up at 4.03 a.m. in this rural area where you look at that aerial photograph, there's not a whole lot of other things around. This is not a convenience store where a bunch of people are hanging out or anything. So, you know, this phone in that rural area that they've already established through previous testimony he uses and is pretty much his sole exclusive phone, you can see how they're building through different testimony of different witnesses, their narrative and their storyline. And this is another damning piece. Uh, if it's if, if, if it's giving credibility, which it should be, this is scientific kind of scientific evidence. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those pieces that tell the story of, of where uh, Melly was that evening. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The defense is basically disputing a lot of this and saying that Detective Moretti isn't even an expert in this and he shouldn't even be introducing this evidence. So it'll be interesting to see what the defense does on cross with this and when they call their own experts. One thing the defense has also said in this case is Melly, Juvie, Sack, they were all best friends since growing up in a kind of a really bad neighborhood in Florida. And, you know, there was some friction, it looks like, between Sack and Melly leading up to these homicides. And really, uh, Sack was upset about what he thought was Melly getting all of the credit for their success. So let's take a listen. Oh, yeah. And I meant to tell you all, I told you before, we went to Cali that me and Juvie, CEO, Peso, the artist, because you be moving on this music just because you pop ain't been be looking confused all my life. Y'all really, my artist, you ain't doing that part right. I got these N-words right. Y'all ain't fitting. Just keep saying that y'all be on some lifestyle shit. Just can't say they your artist just to look at, just to look good. Do the same shit I be doing. I'm just under you because I let you be the face, but I'm the CEO. So Sack is saying, look, you're getting all the credit. I'm the one who's behind this. You know, I'm the boss. So there's obviously some friction, despite what the defense claimed in its opening, that these are his best friends. You know, they, they there was nothing going on here. Well, you know, both things can be true at the same time. That That's the issue. My issue with the defense's argument is like, they could be best friends. I couldn't believe that, that they grew up as best friends and still were. But man, when friend, when money comes between friends and it becomes big money and it's a music career and not only money, but it's notoriety and, and it's publicity and, and, and fame, all of that really drives people's dark side of their personalities. And that's what you're seeing in some of this. You see the resentment. I buy the fact that they were childhood friends and they grew up very close friends together and still were. But at some point, there was a growing rift between them. And and I think these types of texts kind of prove that or at least lend support to, to that allegation. There was a rift here. There was some jealousy. There was some resentment about who was getting the credit and who was the face of it and who was really the CEO of it. And, and so I think that this goes very well to support the prosecution's claims that yeah, these guys may have been great friends, but you know it's been known to to, to drive great friends apart. Fame and money are, are two. Uh, you know, women, fame, and money are always the, the things that kind of come between uh, good friends. And and here you have the fame and the money. 
uh, aspects of it. And I think that's kind of corroborated in these texts. And there's a lot of discussion um, about money in a lot of these text messages that we haven't put up because they're, <laughs> this is very tedious as the detective reads through all of it. But there's a lot of talk about money and Melly needing to get money from track, his manager. He needs to get a new card. There's a sack wanting money and talking about the police coming to his house looking for Melly's money. I mean, there's all this talk about money and tens, 10,000 changing hands here, 10,000 there. So money seems to be a big factor in this case. We're going to look now at uh, some texts between Sack and Melly where they talk about Melly's mom, Jamie King. And it sounds like Sack felt like Jamie King was trying to break up YNW Melly to, to break them up and have Melly kind of be the star, even though he was the front man. So let's look at these texts. I'm good. It's just somebody telling me y'all up to something. You don't owe me nothing. We is the same person. But how you let this shit keep going this far? What if it was the other way around? My mom, my, my mom wouldn't be doing no shit like this. Next message at 12.40 p.m. from the 9081. I'm bullet. Ain't say I was, I was beefing with you before. I let something happen to me or play with my family. Everyone will die. Shit like that. Duck with my blood. And the response from the 9807 phone number. Um, 1240 41 830 I I don't consider her my mama. No mo fuck that bitch, bro. I know I feel yeah, that shit weird, bro. August 30th, 2018. From the 9081 phone number at 1241-30. Then she keep telling people shit about me, and I'm not even worried about her, bro. I'm trying, I'm trying to bull do me. Why and that's always worried about me, and what the fuck you talking about? How you gonna leave, and we can't even get in the gate without you be on some crazy, on some crazy shit. What page is that? 49, Mr. Howard. <clears throat> And the response on August 30th, 2018, 12.41 p.m. from the 9807. Like, I don't even be knowing what the fuck to say. No more. She do shit out of the blue. She the devil, for real. Shit crazy. I don't got shit to do with it. No more. If you all kill her, fuck it, bro. She ain't my mama. She, she sold her soul. So Sack is obviously upset with Jamie King. Melly is saying basically his mom's awful and she sold her soul. It sounds like this is again about money. So, but then the allegation is that Melly kills his friends. So what do you make of this? Well, I think he's trying to smooth things over with his friend. I think that, you know, he's kind of trying to say, yeah, she's crazy. You're right. Like, I think he's kind of, kind of given into him a little bit, even if he doesn't believe that. I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't or he does. I don't know. But, you know, this could be one of those situations where to calm him down, he's trying to kind of sort of agree with him or go down that road, you know, to distance himself from what the mother's doing, even though, you know, it's benefiting Melly what she's doing, right? So he could be, it's possible he's using her 
as the scapegoat, right? Even though he's enjoying the fruits of the of her labors, basically, but he's going to take the face of it and say, look, I'm not with that. I'm not, you know, she's doing that on her own. I don't agree with it. But at, at the same time, he's benefiting from it. So it's hard to put too much credence into what he's saying back to this guy, his friend who's clearly upset. He's trying to, I think, talk him away from the ledge by agreeing with him and distancing, at least by words, distancing himself from his mom. And now there was a video that was played in court that basically shows Melly and Portland having a really good time hours, literally hours after his friends are murdered. They're at a video shoot. So we'll take a quick look at that. Okay, so Bortland and Melly, Melly's dancing around 12 hours after his friends have been murdered, his best friends. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because I, I people people respond to grief and, and, and death differently. So this is not this is not a slam dunk for me. Like, oh my God, he's he's dancing around. He clearly is guilty. He's got no remorse or he's got no grief for his friends. I, I think that if this was a planned video shoot and included the whole group, two of which are now dead, they probably should have canceled it or would have put it postponed it at least. So you do think it is kind of odd a little bit, but I don't think it's, for me, it's not like an oh my God moment where look at him dancing around 12 hours after his friend died. I, you know, it's tough, it's tough for me because I've, I've dealt with a lot of people in grief. Grief is really, especially in the early stages, is very, it's it, it's it's different in different people, depending on how you're raised and, 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 and your feelings for the other people. But but certainly it does it does support some of the allegations you know in the prosecution's theory of the case that you know here they are now they've they've eliminated two of the of the bands basically so they could share so that each of their shares are going to be bigger and now they're doing a video shoot where it's just the two of them I, and I don't even know if the video shoot was for that particular group their band and stuff but but i I do think it's odd, but i don't I also have been around enough people who just learned about the death of friends or loved ones to see a lot of different types of reactions. Could be in shock. I mean, sometimes what's happened doesn't hit you for a while. The final one we're going to look at is uh, something Detective Moretti said really piqued his interest uh, on December 4th, 2018, when he saw a documentary published on Melly's YouTube page in which it says Melly and his friends were the targets of a drive-by. So Detective Moretti said basically the last 20 seconds of that piqued his interest. And I think it's because it basically says Melly and his friends were the targets of a drive-by. And Melly's saying he wasn't even in the car. Yeah, that is interesting. I wonder if, if, if they trip themselves up about that because obviously, look, we both know very enterprising defense attorneys will say that when he says they were victims, uh, you know, Melly didn't have to be in the car to be a victim, right? It was against three of his close friends and the four of them were a group. So any attack on any one of them is attack on, on all of them. As a defense attorney, that's what I'd get up and say to kind of smooth over this mistake that they made. It seems like they stumbled over themselves here in saying that because I think he forgot that his allegation or defense was, I wasn't anywhere near the car when it happened. Now he puts that on, you know, on, uh, you know. So I think that 
That's probably caused a little bit of a headache for his defense attorney, but I'm sure he'll have some way of explaining that as, you know, an attack on one of them is attack on all. And so even though Melly wasn't in that car, as you know, this is going to be the claim of the defense, even though Melly was in that car, he feels he was also a victim of that drive-by because his two good friends were killed. You can always explain that away, but it does look to me like they stumbled over themselves here and they kind of forgot what their defense was going to be at trial. And so they included that in this, in this very self-serving uh, documentary. And I think what's the important point, at least for the detective's testimony, he's saying, I saw that and it interested me. It, it got me kind of thinking about this. However, the defense could say, Melly's this big star. He, he doesn't put that stuff up on the screen. Somebody else typed that. You know, that's not his. Very he true. didn't do that. Very true. Um, right. Well, exactly. Bobby Chacon, thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate it. Sure. And Jeanette, thanks for having me. And that's it for this edition of Law & Crime Sidebar Podcast. You can listen to and download Sidebar on Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always watch it on Law & Crime's YouTube channel. I'm Anjanette Levy, and we will see you next time.